Today on the show, we have the guitarist, founding member, and main songwriter for the band Lillian Axe. The band has a new album out, which Steve is going to tell us all about. Plus, we talk some old stories like how Janie Lane was almost a singer for Lillian Axe, Steve's offer from Sebastian Bach, how Steve referred Phil Anselmo as the lead singer of Pantera, a ghost hunting documentary, and so much more. Uh, Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Steve Blaze, how the hell are you? Oh man, I'm doing fine, man. I apologize. I'm styling, uh, stylistically late, a few minutes, but I apologize. <laughs> I am here. You'd be surprised you how me. many of my podcasts start out that way. Like, oh, sorry, never... like, that's the first thing people say. It's hilarious. It's becoming <laughs> I'm a theme. Like that, I'm never like that. I swear. I'm always the one usually sitting there waiting for 15 or 20 minutes. But, but I'm here, and it's nice to see you. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us about the, you got a new album with Lillian Axe, uh, from womb to tomb. I like, yes. you know, it's kind of crazy. Like that seems like that somebody else should have thought of that, that you're the first person to think, at least <laughs> I've never heard that saying, is that a saying? You know, I really don't even know. I, I heard it somewhere. Okay. Um, I think that I did I very well could have been in a dream because huh. a lot of things come to me when I'm sleeping, but, um, yeah, you know, um, I mean, it's genius. If if you came up with that, I, just the title alone is like, <laughs> how did no one think of it? It rhymes. It's perfect. I know. I, that's what I was thinking, too. But um, yeah, I mean, um, honest to God, I had the title. Uh, I actually had a friend of mine that reminded me that about 10 years ago, I told him about this title. So that's how long it's been in my head waiting for me to do something with it. So it's been a while. But yeah, it, this idea for this record. And the concept behind it probably popped up as soon as I finished the days before tomorrow, which was, uh, gosh, about 11 years ago, the last studio record. Yeah. So this one is like a concept album. It really is from womb to tomb. It starts out with a birth and it, you've got the sound effects of the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, uh, is it the, uh, that's the actual heartbeat of the baby in the womb. The heart- yeah, yeah, from the Which, uh, sauna, not the sonogram. What is that called? The uh, the thing where you listen to the heart. I don't know. The, uh, the you're bro- right. Though. No, the sonogram. Um, when you know, right? when you when you go and and I can recall the day that uh, we went to listen to my sons. It's it's like a whooshing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not like that. What you would think of boom, boom, boom. It's this uh, just real mesmerizing, fluid back and forth. You know, so. Uh, I wanted to start it off with it, you know, obviously with the birth, not just the birth of the child physically, but the the actually advent of the entity of a soul and a child. I, 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 this is not just, you know, when a baby is born, it's not just a physical thing, in my opinion. It, it's a soul. It's an eternal spirit that will exist forever and ever once it's conceived. So it's, um, you know, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted it to be powerful. And, and to represent the beauty of that moment that that child comes into awareness, you know? Um, so that's where we started off with it. And the, the concept of the record is it's loosely based on my life in that these are, each song is about, I would say, um, lessons and events that I've been through personally, but they, these are things that permeate all people's lives. I'm not the only person that learned about this at this age or had these moments or learned about love at this age or about, you know, the, the, the 
human condition at this age. We all learn them at different phases of our lives. So um, we all die. We all either ascend or descend, whatever happens, uh, depending on what your, your belief system is. But we go somewhere. It doesn't just end at the end of, the, of this physical being, in my opinion. So I wanted to, to capture all of those moments and not only, uh, you know, in the, in the more negative uh, realizations in life, there's always the flip side of how to combat that and how to, to remain strong and to defeat that element of your life. So lots of these songs deal with that part of human nature. When we learn about evil, when we learn about bad people, we learn about deception and we learn about greed, et cetera. But instead of just bringing that up and mentioning it, how do we fight it? How do we get beyond it and still have that meaning in our life where we are able to deal with it and not let it completely take us over? So it's kind yeah. of uh, uh, kind of what I wanted to do, loosely based on all the things that I've been through in my life. And uh, except for death, which, you know, hopefully I got a few more years left. But uh, yeah, well, my, you've probably <laughs> known people that have died. So you've experienced oh, it that way. Yeah, exactly. And it, 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 it's not just the physical death that I'm talking about, it's that moment in a person's life in uh, the song from the mountaintops kind of uh, that's what that is. That song uh, sings about is that moment of clarity where you kind of realize, Hey, we're not meant to know everything, but this is just part of our journey. And, and I finally have a bit of an idea about uh, kind of makes a little bit of sense of where we are. Stop trying to figure everything out all the time, you know, deal with what we have now and uh and just constantly stay on that on that road to better ourselves mm -hmm. well it's really that's really all very deep stuff philosophical lyrically and also musically i'd say the album is very it's mature compared to, i mean i'm listening to your older i was listening to the new stuff and it starts out with this beautiful piano and then you know you go into the rock and the production is great and the, but musically the songwriting has evolved so much from you know i listen to the old stuff too which i love i love the stuff right. you got songs about 69 and all this it's just fun rock and roll and this has some fun too but also it's you've matured a lot as a songwriter it is i mean when i was in my teens and 20s i mean those were the things that that influenced us and that we wrote about and that I wrote about, you know, I was, um, you know, in a rock band um, traveling and, and experiencing things for the first time. So there were things about, you know, the opposite sex and things like that. But there were also songs like Ghost of Winter, Waiting in the Dark, The World Stopped Turning, um, those things that delved into that other aspect of my thought, which are uh, the, the much deeper aspects of humanity. Um, so, um, you know, in, in a weird kind of way, some of these songs still do touch on some of those more, I guess, primitive ideals. But now those same ideas, you know, have taken taken different, deeper meaning. Musically, I'd like to think that, you know, we have evolved as a band. See, here's the deal. Like, I get people a lot that will say, well, man, I love those first four records. You know, is it going to be like those first four? Well, those were the first four that were probably the best known because at that time when they came out, the music industry was a lot more, We, you know, you could really reach a lot more people at that time. We had MTV, we had videos and, and the whole industry and people in society were more prone to be more proactive in supporting bands. So those albums got a lot of attention. 
But every one of those first four albums is completely uniquely different from the one before it. So when people say to me, oh, is it going to be like the first four? I like that's a really broad spectrum. How can I tell you? Yeah, it's going to be like the first four because none of those first four were really similar to each other. It was still Lillian. And you still if you knew the band well, you could hear those permeating you know, melody lines and the types of guitar sounds and the soloing and the harmonies, et cetera, that, yeah, sounds like Lillian X. We, you know, all bands take a few albums, but they develop into their own unique sound. I can't and I don't sit down and think about, oh, I got to write the next True Believer or Show a Little Love. It doesn't work like that. I write what comes to my mind. And then we I put the pieces together and with the band gets together and we get in the studio and we start listening to these things and then we start thinking about, Okay, God, that would be amazing. We don't limit ourselves. As a matter of fact, that's why one reason a lot of the demos, ask the band, when I send the original demos right after I've written the songs, they're very primitive because I want to, when we get in the studio and the more that we all listen to the songs, the more things pop up into our head. Let's try this. Let's try that. I don't want to be limited to just being guitar and bass and drums band. We're not like that. Now, it's obviously predominant and you hear it. Those songs, those guitars are big and heavy and cutting and there's still it's still hard rock heavy stuff but there's a a new as a different take on a different element we do have pianos and strings and thunder and lightning and dragons and maggots and flies and uh timpanis and grand piano and cellos and all all part but that's those are the things that are needed to actually portray that musical idea out there i can't write a song called breathe about a baby being born you know, and it it be a death metal song. It just, that doesn't, for me, musically, that's not how I express what the birth of a child is or the golden dragon, which is about, you know, the advent of evil in a child's life when he starts to first realize that, you know what? It's not just all uh, playgrounds and unicorns here. That This isn't right. This isn't right. When a child starts to realize that the golden dragon, that's a, a very aggressive song. So I can't write that song by using cellos and and flutes. You know, it has to musically portray and uh, define what I'm trying to say lyrically. So the great part about it is the band is is in top form. I mean, I'm so happy. These guys are amazing. Um, We play well together. We think well together. And this album, you know, to me is our opus. I think it's the best thing that we've ever done that I've ever written. And the best performances. I mean, I'm thrilled with it, but you know, people have to realize you're not going to get Lillian X self-titled album from 1988. We're, we are the same guys and the same brand and we are the same mentality. And, but you're always going to evolve. I mean, you and I don't wear the same clothes we wore when we were 12 years old, do we? I mean, it doesn't mean we're not the same on the inside. It means we evolve, we change. It doesn't mean we get better or we get worse. No, we just, we evolve and change. That's that's a part of human existence is evolving to get better and better and be happy with what you're doing. I got to be happy with what I write. I can't write a song because I want to, <coughs> excuse me. I don't write a song because I have to fit what the radio people want me to write or what the label says. Oh, we need another three minute, 30 second song. so that we can play this well if i can't get that idea out like that and if it doesn't work i'm not phony i'm not going to be fake about creating that piece of work 
Yeah, we have a lot more freedom now too with a with a smaller label. There's it's like it's not like it'd be on the major labels where they would have that. You know, tell Janie Lane go write another cherry pie. Like you, you don't have that with the smaller labels, I would assume. Yeah, you're right about that, and especially with the the way radio is now. I mean, you take some of the <clears throat> largest rock acts in the world, and they put a new song out, and the radio didn't even pick it up. You know, it's it's just we rely on internet radio and and specialty shows and those radio stations and shows that actually really care and take the and are willing to risk and take the chances on doing it but the fans i think they want to hear new stuff they might say oh i want to hear the old stuff but they want to hear new stuff too there's no reason why bands can't do them both look when i take a band for example like aerosmith i love aerosmith from the first album now I will buy every one of their records, whether it sounds like rocks or uh, toys in the attic or not, because I love that band and I get something out of them and they do change. You know, their albums are different uh, from record to record. And every, you know, that's what you want. You want them to give me something new. And this, if I want to go listen to walk this way, I'll put toys in the attic on. It's always there for me, you know, mm-hmm. but give me something new, man. I want to hear what you guys are doing now because I'm a fan of that band. And I want to to have my, you know, my allegiance to those guys and support what they're doing, even if it might not be necessarily something that I like as much as a prior record. I'm still out there supporting it and listen to it, giving it a good chance. Yeah. And I love some of the greatest songs that bands have written have been the new songs that maybe they're not as big a hits and they're not as many people hear them. But I enjoy it. I, I like listening to new. I'm with you. I'm I'm a fan. So I like getting new music. Poison. They haven't made a new album in what, like 15 years or something like that? Like, why not? Like, I know the last one wasn't great, but hey, give it a shot. Go out there and do I know. And also, it doesn't make a lot of money for the band, but just for creative uh, juices, wouldn't you want to create? I mean, I think as a creative person, you get sick of playing the same songs all the time. (laughs) Well, it really isn't that so much, even though people will be like, oh, God, how many times have you played Misery Loves Company? Uh, about 50,000 times. But I still enjoy playing it. And I like, you know, the, the fact that people, they, they they gravitate to that song. It's the first song in the first record. They like that, you know, so <clears throat> I'm cool with that. But as you're like, as a as a creator and as a writer, I'm just like, man, just wait till the next record. Wait till the next record. I'm going to create the best stuff every time, because not only do I need to do it, to be able to express what I want to do. I really want to give it to the people to make them happy. I really mm-hmm. want them to just get it and understand it. And that's a, and that, you know, that's a, it's a crap shoot no matter what you do, because no matter what you do and what band you're in, look at Iron Maiden. They put out a great new record. I love it. Well, they got just dissed on by everybody. Why? Cause it's not the trooper. No, it's Iron Maiden doesn't have to be the trooper or run to the hills. It can be Iron Maiden. That's what it is. And that's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a tricky thing when you're on the inside because you're going to get uh, people that are like, oh, my God, this, you know, can't wait for a new record. And they get it and they love it and they get it. And you get some people that are like, oh, man, uh, I want I want the next dream of lifetime. Well, that's not going to happen. That was then. And I'm proud of it. We still play it out live. But I'm going to give you new stuff. I'm going to give you new things that are still this band for you to latch on to, man. It's like the variety of life, man. I mean, look, I like pizza, but there's a million other foods I like to eat too as well. If I just eat pizza every day, for God's sakes, I'm doing everybody an injustice, you know, Um, enjoy just 
go out there and, and have fun. And that's what we did with this record. We spent three years recording this album. We spent a lot of time and heartache and blood, sweat and tears doing this record, man, because um, it, it, it's so such an emotional thing. The last three songs on the album are the most emotional things I've ever written. And I, I felt like that about myself. And I was like, you know what? Is it just me? And I would play it for like people that I knew that I could trust their opinion that would tell me, eh, it's okay. Or I don't like it that much or this or that. And they all, I look over and they all have tears coming in their eyes. They got it. And I think the whole record is like that. When you listen to this thing from top to bottom, it will emotionally drag you in. So I'm just, uh, I hope people love it. I'm, I feel the band feels really, really happy with what we came up with. Yeah, it's cool. So, I mean, obviously if you're going to do like, probably some of these festivals and these bigger shows that you do, you have a very, you know, slotted amount of time, you know, it's mostly probably greatest hits. Maybe you throw in a couple new songs, but would right. you do some, some regular, just uh, headlining shows, maybe a one-off where you play the entire album, you know, for, for some those diehard fans who probably do want to hear the full album live. Well, we did that with love and war. We did a couple of shows where we just played love and war album from top to bottom. <clears throat> and potentially we could do that. Um, here's the issue. And I'm serious. It's, it's kind of funny because no matter what you do, somebody is going to be offended that you didn't play some song off the other record. So when we did love and war, we did that. And then we would do like, uh, you know, a couple of the, the, the like true believer and yeah. Uh, yeah. Crucified and deep freeze. We'd have to throw like seven or eight. Right. The, yeah. That, ones like of that. course. But Not just this, the album, but yeah. Well, we'll see how this, because this album is the type of record that we could do from top to bottom, but we'd have to bring an orchestra in. We'd have to bring a, a keyboard player in. There's so much of that in there. There's a, three songs that have choir in it. Uh, two of the ones, Brent and I actually created a choir. We call it the Moron Tabernacle Choir. It's We have 108 voices. We overdubbed eight harmonies, wow. and it sounds like a men's choir. I mean, we... We did it in two songs It is featured in there for the power uh, behind it. And um, uh, it really came out well. So that aspect of doing this whole new record like that would take a bit more production because we don't run tracks, never have, never will. The only okay. thing I would ever say if we ever came down to running tracks would be maybe some keyboard parts because we don't have a, a live keyboard player. I played some of the keyboards on this album. Uh, but there are three songs that we brought in uh, a ringer for, you know, things that were beyond my keyboard talents. But I play all the pads and some of the stuff and the intro to breathe and that. But uh, from from the mountaintops, Ascension and um, Migrating North, we brought in a guy named TK came in and knocked it out of the park. So we probably have to bring somebody like that on the road to do this whole album in its entirety. And then, you but know, you played some of the keyboards too, like the opening piano. Is that you? Yeah, that's me on the opening keyboards. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, the string pads and the things that are that uh the 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 filler stuff, I can do that and I do that. But the more technical stuff, the things that really needed to be honed in, I wanted somebody that you know, this guy's a virtuoso. So I, I was like, let's bring in a ringer for this, somebody that really can all these little nuances and stuff that I'm not uh technically capable of doing on a piano, bring him in for that. And he did knock it out. It was great. Nice. Well, I mean, yeah, you have a, you have a new lineup in the band now and the band's kind of been through some lineup changes. Like you pretty much are the band, right? I mean, you're the main songwriter 
and uh, you kind of control the whole the whole thing, right? And always have. I started the band in '83 with Michael Max. Um, came up with the name. Um, first show was really our, our advent was Halloween of uh, 1983, and um, we just. Uh, we beat the path down, man, for like four years. And then MCA records uh, through Marshall Burl, we opened up a bunch of shows for Rat and Queensryche and Poison. And so Marshall Burl, the manager, got in touch with us because Robin Crosby loved the band and wanted wanted to, to produce us. So Marshall called me and said, hey, look, you want a record deal? It's Marshall Burl. And this at a time when Marshall was managing Rat and they were at their heyday. And uh, so we started working together. Robin produced our first time. He got us a deal. We got signed by Irving Azoff to MCA. And, um, and, and but wasn't that, it just you that got signed? Like yeah, they didn't they want the rest me, of the band. Right. They signed me. Um, and basically there were some issues with a couple of guys, you know, that were, it was, you know, back then it was to the point where reform the band or see you later. And a couple of the guys were going through some, um, some just demons, let's put it that way, dealing with okay. personal demons and stuff. And it, it didn't work out. Danny King, the drummer, did come on, stay on for the first two records. Uh, Michael was one of the guys that didn't stay with me, but he came back into the fold about seven years ago. So okay. the original bass player is back with me. So, and, and he's amazing on this record, too. He just blew it. But he even told me, he said, you know what? If I would have stayed on with you back when you got that first deal with MCA, he said, I'd probably be dead by now. So it so just you feel like was that a, was a good decision then. Absolutely. It, it had to be. Or I, I mean, I don't I can't tell you what would have happened after that. I don't know if we'd have gotten, you know, picked up by somebody else or whatever. But it was at the point where they were the band might have to keep going at that point. It might have split up soon after that, just because there were some there were too many things going on that were self-destructive within the band. So, OK, anyway, so you had I, the, I think yeah. God has a plan. And God takes these things. And, you know, when you're around, look, that's how, how many years ago was that? 17 and 40 years ago. You know, we yeah. the first record came out in 88. So we've been around a long time. Relationships come and go. We've had, you know, people in, in most bands, if you're fortunate enough to be like Rush and have the same three guys for the majority of your career, that's a wonderful thing. We have five guys and you're, you know, nine record deals and, you know, they're fighting hard just to get any little bit you can in this crazy business, you know, people change their minds. People, some people think, Oh, I want to go out and do my own thing. Now I, you know, I've got enough of a name. I want to go do my own thing. Some people just don't want to tour anymore. Some people just had enough of it. Some people get burnt out on it, you know, and I understand that, but you know, it's, um, I birthed it and, and I keep it going and we just make the right changes. And right now, Sam, the other guitar player has been with me for, um, 24 years. 23 years. So he's wow. longest member of the band besides myself. Um, and Michael's back with me, the original bass player. We do have a, a new singer as about three years ago. This is his first record, uh, Brent Graham. And he's going to make a huge name for himself when the record comes out. He's not only is he, he's six, four, he's a menacing, amazing singer, but he's the sweetest guy in the world. It's like, you know, he's a grizzly bear, you know? And, um, and, uh, uh, our drummer is Wayne Stokely. We met Wayne when we did a tour uh, back about 10 years ago. We did a, a two and a half months with Faster Pussycat, Jack Russell's Great White, Bullet Boys, and Pretty Boy Floyd. He was playing drums for Pretty Boy Floyd. We clicked. We got along really, really well. 
we stayed in touch. And then when Ken, our last drummer after 20 years, decided he didn't want to travel anymore and he wanted to stay home, we called Wayne. Wayne came in and uh, and right after Wayne, we asked him to join the band. He had an accident and retinas became detached from both eyes. Uh, long story short, he's legally blind. Um, he can still? see a little bit still. You will not be able to tell. When what you happened? Was it a, like a he, physical I, I don't, accident? I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know if he got hit or something. Something oh. happened. I'm not exactly quite sure. Because okay. right when he was going to join, that happened. And he said, I can't do it right now. So uh, hmm. we had a fill-in, Rob Hovey, for a little while, who played on a few of the songs on this. And then when it got back to the point where Wayne said, look, it's getting a little bit better. I, I want to get back in. Wayne came and got the gig. And so this is his first record with us. But we've been knowing a long time. And uh, the the camaraderie and and uh, just the, the, old, the whole family vibe of the, the five members of the band right now is unique to anything I've ever been a part of right now. It's really good. Look, I love all the guys in the past. They've all been a major part of everything and love them to death. Uh, but this is a unique, this is, you know, you get to that one thing is like, there's just something really, really uniquely special about this moment right now that, that I, I haven't experienced before. So, yeah. Is it true though? Like when you were, when you had to reform the band the first time, when you got the record deal, did, were yep. you going to uh, possibly have Janie Lane join the band or what was yeah. the story with that? Was he the in story with the that? Time, kinda, yeah. I mean, he was with Warren of course, and they were, I guess they were at the, like the, the start of their, you know, negotiations with their deal or whatever. But Marshall okay. Burl, who was managing rat and, um, I guess you could say managed us for a little bit, if you want to call it that. He um, he said, "Look, I want to hook you up with this with this guy, Janie Lane." Nobody, you know, I mean, people out there knew him, but they weren't a band. I mean, uh, they don't have a record or anything out. Okay. They were just. He said they're a really popular band out here. They're kind of negotiating, but I think the two of you two guys together could be just an amazing fit. And yeah. so Janie flew down and hung out for three or four days. And we clicked really well. He's, he was a great guy, really nice and all. But he it was the same thing. We were a little different, you know, stylistically different. And he wrote all the songs. He, it was his band. And mm-hmm. I wrote all the songs for Lillian. And, you know, I was a leader of my band. So it was kind of like, how could you? You couldn't really have an album with Misery Loves Company and, um, you know, um, Down Boys on the same thing. You know, it just wasn't like a, a it wouldn't have... Uh, it would have been just different. Right. So, hmm. but we got to hang out together and we each went our own paths and, and uh, you know, he had great success obviously. So uh, he made a great choice and did very well. And uh, I'd see him every now and then we, you know, talk a little bit and um, that was it, but that was it. We just, we got along really good. We had a good time, but you know, did you write point, any songs together? No, it, it was really just, we were actually, we did a couple of shows down there with the other singer while he was just coming to kind of hang out with me and see what happened, like on a personal level. And we're like, hmm. yeah, it was great. We love hanging out with each other, but I have my band. He has his. So gotcha. That um, would have been interesting though. To, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It would be different, but it, you know, sometimes like those, it's the combinations that make the magic. I mean, if you look oh, at Guns N' Roses, like Axel and Slash, they're yeah. pretty different in a lot of ways. And like to me, I love the Use Your Illusions albums. I love the yeah, you yeah. Know, the, the the variety. I think that stuff's kind of cool. So oh, I would have loved to have done something with him. Who knows? I, I you know, yeah. it's like one of those things that 
it, you know, it's I kind of, I, I look at it from my belief system. It's like God guides me in the right things, helps me make the right decisions. And, uh, you know, it's, um, the only thing is maybe if hanging around with me, I, maybe I could have kept him on the straight and narrow, man. Cause, yeah. uh, I, I just, uh, he was, he was a really good guy. And uh, I just, I hate that he, that he had to fight the demons like he did, you know, um, uh, just that, cause we had done some shows with him. I, uh, we did a show with him when he was doing solo stuff and, uh, oh. two shows in Florida. And, um, I was like, you know, I just, I remember, um, that it, it was, it wasn't, he was really off the deep end at that time. And, um, mm. it was, it was a shame because he is a, he really was, um, in my opinion, he, I think he was just like a, you know, like a small town guy that was very talented and got a great break and, and, and this and that. And I think the industry just sucked him up. You know, I think, yeah. um, and, and, and unfortunately you see that happen a lot of time. I felt that way with Robin. Robin wasn't like, he wasn't all into all that rock star stuff and, you know, partying out. And I think it just got a hold of, I mean, many times Robin and I would be sitting around and he'd go, man, Hey, do you, you know, do you like us? You like my band? You like, you think I'm any, I, I suck. I'm no good. I'd be like, Robin, stop, man. You're Robin Crosby. You're in rat. You guys are not only, you know, a great, very well-known band across the planet. I said, I really like you. I'm a fan of yours as long as well as working with you on my record. I'm honored, man. And beyond all that, you're my friend. That's what I tell him. I don't care about all those. I care about you being my friend. So, but you are, by oh, the way, I said, by the way, so you are fascinating to I hear the insecurities. Yeah. There's so many people that would trade places with him and be in rat and yeah. this majorly successful band, but he yeah. didn't feel like it was good enough. That's it's funny. You say that. Cause I say that a lot. I think people don't realize and almost sometimes even fans, you know, they look at musicians or, or celebrities or actors and they look at them and think, oh, they, um, you know, they've got it made. They, they, you know, they've got it inside. They're all confident. Man, let me tell you something. There's a lot of insecurity out there. And, and you might see some of these guys that think that they are on top of the world. And they may be in your eyes as a fan or whatnot. There's insecurity everywhere. And that's, that's kind of sad. Cause I think insecurity is something not just in, I guess the more you have and the more popularity and the more you have at your fingertips, the more you're afraid to lose it and you start to second guess mm. yourself. And if something starts to go, Oh my God, this album didn't sell as bad as, as well as the last one, maybe, Oh, maybe I'm not any good anymore. Oh my God, am I, I got to go over the top now. What am I going to do? What do y'all think? What can I do? What can I change? You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. that insecurity, no. the toughest part, I think, is being able to go through these things and be secure. And look, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying as hard as I can. It's um, the most important thing is who am I as a person? You know, what kind of mind, what kind of heart do I have? Where am I going? What am I doing uh, how do I treat other people? How do I take care of these things? Not like, okay, oh, we sold 2 million on the last one. This one only sold 1.5. Oh my God, the world's coming to an end. Yeah. And you'd be surprised. I see a lot. No, of I know because I do these podcasts. I mean, I had this girl from The Bachelor. You look at this girl, you're like, this girl's perfect. She's the most beautiful girl ever. She's worried she's lo she loses some Instagram followers. She's like, her world collapses. I mean, it's I fascinating. It's really interesting. And you can't to hear take that. any of that with you, man. You only yeah. take yourself and your soul and who you are wherever That's you go. That's true. 
And uh, so, but that was one of the things, you know, that really, I, I felt so bad about Robin because he was such a nice guy, man. I mean, yeah. you know, and I, I, I see that a lot. And then I see a lot of, of my peers and guys that, um, you know, in other bands and, and um, they just seem insecure about stuff. I'm like, don't be insecure, man. You have achieved such great things. And even if it wasn't for the commercial success, you're doing it regardless, whether you're at a level of being in a band and playing clubs every night, or if you're doing stadiums, you've done it. Yeah. You're successful. Keep doing it, man. You're making a mark, whether you're making a mark for 10 million people, or you're making a mark for 10,000 people, you're making a mark, you're changing people's lives. Keep working hard. It will, your path will go where it's going to go. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. That reminds me, I had a, do you know, Edgar Winter, you know, Frankenstein and like, yeah, sure. Free Absolutely. Yeah, yep. I had him on the show and I was asking him about his newest album and I was like, you know, are you worried how many you know units it's going to move and all that stuff? He goes, no, I don't care about, you know, that stuff. He's like, what I want is like respect from, you know, people in my community, in the musical community. Yep. And he's like, all the people that, that I respect their opinions, they've all told me it's a great album. So that's all that matters to me. I was like, right. oh, that's such a great you know, because I do the same thing with podcasts. I'm like, oh, I don't have as many listens. But, you know, if other podcasters are saying, hey, your your show's great. You know, I like this episode. I'm like, OK, I'm doing something. So it's probably right. the same for you. Yeah. The thing that that moves me, of course, we uh, look. And if, if I I'd be lying to you, if I told you different, if anybody ever said anything different. Yes, it does affect you when somebody says something negative. It does right. affect you when you don't sure. have you know, if you're not selling. But I look at it like this. The first week. Poetic Justice came out. It sold like 55 or 60,000 units. If I sold that on this record, it would be number one or two in Billboard. Um, you know, be, yeah. so it, I, I, the things that make me have, I, when I listen to that record and, and I have hair in the back of my neck stands up and I listen and I look in the mirror and go, that is the best record we possibly ever could have done. I'm so proud of not just me. I'm proud of the band, the engineers, the crew, my manager, the agent, everybody that's my family, everybody has a part of this. That just make me proud. Makes me really proud is when I hear and get the emails from people. And I have done this my whole career of songs have changed their lives or it's gotten them through bad things. I hear that all the time. And that's what is the real, I mean, it's not, it doesn't pay bills, but it pays the bills of my soul. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, absolutely. That's the reason that it's your purpose. Exactly. And I have heard, I could tell you stories for hours of, of, of um, songs of ours that have reached people and kept people from committing suicide. People from, you know, uh, it's funny because you hear the stories and it's always something you save somebody from a despair or a bad situation. I'm like, oh, maybe well, we can have a song that inspired somebody to, you know, buy a lottery ticket and won $50 million. But well, okay, you know. so give me, you, you say you have hours of those. Give me one good story of that where somebody reached out and said that your song changed their life. Oh, I had a guy I remember in Cleveland came up after a show and he had just lost his fiance. She got killed in a car wreck. And he said that, um, see you someday off of Poetic Justice and Bob Dylan. I don't remember what song by Bob Dylan. Those two songs kept him, kept him from taking his own life. And, uh, and, and I started not only from taking his own life, but the fact of what he went through grief wise by losing his fiance is incomprehensible. Um, yeah. and, and comprehensible. And I just, I, I mean, I like broke down. I've gotten on phone with people and, Hey man, 
this guy's, you know, he's got cancer. He's in the hospital. He can't make the show called. And then the next day, Hey, passed away last night. You were like the last guy I get to talk to before you. And those kind of things, man, they just, that happened to me up in, in the Midwest somewhere. I remember this guy and I was on the phone with him. I'm like, Hey man, you got to come and show. He goes, no, man, I can't, you know, I'm fighting this cancer and I'm going to beat it. And I'll see y'all next time in town. The guy called me next day. Hey man, uh, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he, he passed away. Uh, he died uh, this morning and, and those things. And it's like when you are in a situation where you put things out to the world uh, that are emotional, that, that you, that people will listen to and, and hopefully get things from, you know, spiritual moments from, you get a lot of those kind of things, man. I mean, you know, like just this year, man, five or six fans that have come to all the shows have passed away. And, uh, you know, and like a, a good friend of ours, wife just passed away and we just saw her like two months ago. And then, you know, they come to all the shows locally and um, it was heart wrenching because a couple of years ago, I, I got really, really sick. Long story short, I got COVID before anybody knew what it was and I got it really bad and I was still out in the road playing and we did a show that I could barely walk off the stage when we were done. And she came up to me. She came past the barricade. And I said, yeah, come on, bring it up. She came up. And she said, I know how bad you, you're feeling, how sick you are now. I want to pray with you. And she prayed with me. She didn't care about anything other than she knew how badly I felt. And this woman prayed with me and, and you know, God bless her for that. And then, you know, like she just died like two months ago. And she was like, just somebody you see at shows and meet them and again and say, Ooh. hey, thanks for coming out. And all of a sudden, like overnight, they pass away. And so at their funeral, the cards I hand out had lyrics to Nobody Knows. That was her favorite song, like one of our songs. And, you know, you think about these things and and uh, the gentleman, we're his favorite band, uh, the husband. And uh, he's telling me, you know, about how the songs have helped him get, get through these things. And it's like you start to feel like, you know, I do have a responsibility to move people. OK, whether it's a little movement like, hey, I'm going to write a song about how wonderful the sunshine is. Great. Well, that for that minute, you just inspire somebody. You make them feel mm -hmm. good. And on songs, you know, like lyrically, we're, we're deeper than your average song. We do. I do write about what I think are spiritual, important, epic moments in people's lives and understand that, you know, how to get through them. And, and that we all go through these things. And those types of things reach people's hearts, you know, and um, and it makes me feel really good. I, I feel like I have I feel responsible for helping people a lot with it. And that that drives me. But those are the moments like like with Edgar Winter, um, you know, he, he wants he wants to move people, you know, yeah. and, and, and uh, I think a lot of artists do. I don't think there's a whole there's some out there that just think strictly financially. But yeah. I think your true artists that really care and, and most of the ones that I met, they really do care about moving their fans, you know, and uh, helping them get through things. Because as fans ourselves, there's songs that helped us out, that helped us Absolutely. to understand and learn about things. Yeah. Well, if you look back, though, on those first four albums, like you said, before you broke up in 95, then you obviously you get back together. But when you look back on that initial success, the first 10 years of the band, is there anything you think that you would have done differently? Cause just commercially there, there was just, I mean, I listened back to the songs and like, 
I'm like, these are better than a lot of the bands that were a lot bigger at the time or maybe bigger now. But I mean, th- your band could have been bigger in the 80s and 90s, yeah. I think. And I'm sure well, a lot of other people agree with me. If I had a penny for every time uh, that that sentiment was brought to my attention, we would have been you know, a global phenomenon. But yeah, I hear that all the time. I always have. And, and it's kind of nice to hear, of course. But then again, I think, you know, I, I can't really pinpoint. I look at, okay, well, maybe in the big scheme of thing, if, if God had had me massively successful back then, maybe some people couldn't have handled it. Maybe things wouldn't be mm. where they are right now. I don't know. I don't know. I have to just go with, I know that every decision that we made was one that we felt was the right decision at that time. So, you know, okay. if I went back and I was in the same thing, it's like, I didn't make a bad decision because I knew it was bad, but I had an ulterior motive. I made a decision that might not have been good because at that time, everything pointed towards being good. Like I wouldn't have entered into uh, certain management deals. Um, mm-hmm. I probably would have uh, not trusted many people the way I did. I put u- ultimate trust in a lot of people. Um, gotcha. And, uh, you know, other than that, I would have probably fought for, you know, you, you, when you're, when you're, you know, in your early twenties and you're with a major label and they're telling you this is going to happen and this is going to work and this is going to be this and that you figure, Hey, I'm just the artist here. They know what's going on. And then you see them not doing what they say and you see them dropping the ball. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm you sure think there NCA a lot of- was a, was a bad, I heard you call it the music cemeteries of America. Oh, or something I'm not like the that. first word. I, that, that came from lots of people in the industry. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of bands. Matter of fact, Alice Cooper was on the label as well. And he told me how badly he was treated um, by MCA. It was, it was a fiasco. Uh, But then again, we did get the first two records out there. So maybe it was at least, even though it wasn't what they promised us uh, and we did everything on our end that we could possibly do. Um, it's still, but they didn't get you. Did they get you on a tour back no, then? Like a big tour? No, See, that no. would have been something the record label should have put together. Like, Hey, we're going to have you open for Alice Cooper right, back then right. or no, somebody even like, uh, I mean, cause you had played with poison rat rat and Queens, right? You jump on one of their tours. We that were, would have given you a we huge were, exposure. We were primed for a good tour. They didn't do that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they, they, we went out with crocus. Uh, because they were on the label. So they figured they'd put us out with them for two months, three months. And then, uh, cause they were on MCA for an album and they didn't do anything for them either. But if they put us out together, they get, you know, two bangs for the buck, you know? Yeah. So, but well, then, we, you know, we just kept, yeah. we just kept busting it, man. We just kept on, yeah. you know, if they're not going to support, we're going to be out there. We're going to hit the road. We're going to play. We're going to keep writing we're going to keep putting records out. And, um, but yeah, it was just, yeah poor management, uh, poor label, um, at the beginning, uh, poor label success, bad decisions on, you know, when we finally got on IRS, it was, they really started to push it a lot. And right when true believer is like the top 40, they decide to go and do a video for the next single, which was a cover song. And we're like, no, we need a video for true believer. It's in the top 40 right now. It's been on the charts. We're selling records. MTV probably will we'll play it now because it's charting and they didn't, they wanted to do Mm. a cover song, no matter what, which we love the song, Uh, but it was not what we should have done then, but we had no choice. 
we had to go. Yeah, I heard you say that uh, the guys from Pantera had heard True Believer. They were telling you it was on the radio. How did you know? Yeah, the they guys heard it at Taco Pantera? Bell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, how did you know them? Was that were they in Louisiana? Oh, we, knew them. Uh, we knew those guys from before we were signed. Before they were signed. As a matter of fact, uh, Vinny and Dime and Rex, we snuck them in to see us play with Rat prior to us getting signed uh, to come to the show, and uh, they were looking for a new singer. And Johnny the uh-huh. Vines, the original singer back in the original uh, Lillian Axe, um, he and I, we were the ones that referred Philip over to them because Phil was in a local band that was opening up for us all the time called Razor White. He was a singer and he was a good young kid and um, and, he, and he sang well. And we go, hey, man, you check this kid out. Phil Anselmo, you know, he's in uh, Razor White. And they're playing shows with us and they checked him out and got him in a band. So Johnny and I were the ones that referred Philip over to, to Daryl. Wow. Uh, I did not and, know that. That's amazing. Yeah. But so we, what we were do you doing think the same the, circuits. Yeah. So what do you think about the reunion? Cause me personally, I'm a Pantera fan. And so I think original singer, original bass player, Zach Wilde on guitar and Charlie from Anthrax on the drums. Like it sounds good to me, but some people are saying, no, this isn't the true well, band and all this. I don't know. Honestly, just go out and do it, do it tastefully, go out there and do it. I mean, you know, they're going to do it um, respectfully. And I'm sure there'll be in the background of the stage, there'll be pictures of those guys everywhere because it was their band. They started yeah. that band, you know? And um, if it's done, and the thing is when people go out and see it, they're not going out and saying, yeah, these four guys were Pantera. No, they're going, these four guys are paying homage to that band. And uh, so I, I think if it's done tastefully, it'd be fine. And, and, you know, I understand some people are emotional because those are the guys in the band and there was some bad blood and all that. But, you know, at a certain point, you got to let it go. Just, you know, go if you don't. It's, it's fine if you don't want to go and you don't respect and you don't not a fan or whatever. Or you, you were a fan, but you don't want to then just stay home. But, yeah. you know, those two guys fair. were half of the band as well during their success. And uh, yeah. so. You know, they have got every right to go out and do it, but you know, it's, it's an emotional thing. As long as it's done with respect to those guys, which I'm sure it will be, it'll probably do well. Absolutely. Well, you also, I was going to ask you about this. Cause I saw that you, you did some shows with Alice Cooper in like 2007 yeah. and 2009. How did that yeah. come about? Cause that's kind of like you would, your band had been gone for a while. Then you came back and now all of a sudden you're opening for Alice Cooper. I mean, that's bigger than what you would have done in the eighties. Right. Well, um, Alice's uh, tour manager, Toby, um, his girlfriend was a big fan of the band. She's from Europe. Uh, oh. Big fan of the band. And Toby said, yeah, man, she's bugging us so much. We've got to get Lillian on this. And uh, and our manager at the time knew Toby and um, and they just worked it out. And we did a bunch of shows, uh, two separate runs. And uh, it worked out good. And it was right when we had come back out, we put Waters Rising out. And we, yeah. we just put out Sad Day on Planet Earth as well. So we had two albums out. You know, I never, we never, I never really broke the band up. We just took a break for a little while. And yeah. then, you know, so many people were wanting us back together, back together. And we tried it a little bit. And a couple of guys wanted to, you know, they dabbled in it, but then they wanted to go and do their own musical thing. So they did. And that's mm-hmm. when I was like, you know, picked it up full steam ahead and, and uh, started putting out records ever since then. Yeah. So when did you, I heard you say that you played in a version of the band angel. Was yeah. that, was that during the hiatus of Lillian or when, when did you do that? 
Yeah, that was kind of around that time. It was like, okay. uh, I think it was late 90s, uh, oh, okay. 98, 99. And um, uh, the guy that was playing keyboards that took Jafria's place was writing a book. And he asked me if he could interview me for the book. And I said, yeah, sure. And, um, and we started talking. He goes, yeah, man, I'm playing keyboards and Angel. I'm like, Angel? Oh, my God. I was a kid. And I, at first, I got uh, On Earth As It Is In Heaven on vinyl and all the albums. I'm a huge Angel fan. I had the posters in my room. He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah. The guitar player, the guy, he's just not really working out. And I said, well, I play guitar. You know that, right? And he started laughing. He goes, you would do that? I said, of course I would. I said, I'm, you know, thing. I'm, we're kind of in a regroup, so to speak. I said, I've got time to do it now. He goes, well, let me call him. And they flew me up to uh, New York, and I went in there and knocked it out in the rehearsal. And uh, same day, they said, yeah, you got the gig. So I was thrilled because I've always been a major fan. So for several years, we did shows sporadically. And, um, you know, it was like, you know, it just it was a blast. And I loved it. And Frank and Barry were great. And, um, you know, those were the two original guys that were mm -hmm. still in the band. And uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was it was tough for them to get up and running back again. So yeah. after three or four years, they kind of put it to rest. And now a few years later, here we are. And they uh, got punky back in and they're doing some stuff now. So, yeah. Were there other opportunities like that? Other bands you played with or that you auditioned for that you didn't get? Like, obviously we talked about the Janie Lane one. That was pretty cool. Is there other stories like that? Yeah, where you actually, actually warrant called me up to, to uh, play guitar with them when they were doing that white snake warrant thing. And it, I guess it went south. I don't know if, if, if JD fell off the wagon or something. That's what they told me. Okay. Um, and then Lita Ford had asked me to do. And then at the last minute, it, it didn't work out because I don't think her guitar or her husband at the time didn't want another guitar player in the band, wanted her to play all the guitars. Oh. And then uh, Sebastian Bach asked me to play guitar when we played together up in, in Europe. Lillian did some shows. And like three days later, he fired his whole band and re recruited. So for three days, he asked me to play guitar for him. And then, um, then, then you uh, did that one. No, I didn't. I didn't, oh, it yeah. didn't even last more than three days. It's like, okay. we we're in, we we're in Switzerland and it's like, you want to do it? Okay. You can come to my house. We got a right. I just, I can, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And then three days later he had fired his whole band that was on tour with him there and then rechanged his whole plan. So, wow. um, and, and I was dealing with all, all that through angels management and stuff. So I'm like, wow. you know, and then do you remember that show that they did with Sebastian and the guy, and Ted Nugent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that show. Well, they, and Jeff they had the Probst, band. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Probst from Survivor, the, the creator, created that. While I'm in Europe at the same time, I'm getting letters of intent from him to do the second season of that. So I was going to be the guitar player. And the next day, I don't know, I think me and Piercy and maybe Rudy Sarzo, the names they were thrown around. So I wow. signed a letter of intent. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to play. When I get back, I'm probably going to do the Sebastian thing and then I'm going to do this tv show and then it all just like like tons of things happen in this business it just didn't work out things changed they didn't do the yeah. season you know didn't you and also then, um, have like a, a ghost hunting show that was going to be with mark cuban or something if mark cuban passed on the show with didn't even yeah. look at it. he just said it's a ghost hunting show not on my network but we've been doing that for like seven eight years now so we've had we've been to the point where discovery gave us a, even a time slot for our show didn't work out the investors yeah couldn't get the investors that promised to do it to pan out. Um, we, we've been working on it forever. So now um, I have a ghost hunting team uh, in a nutshell here um, called the veil. 
We shot a documentary last year. It's being edited now, hopefully be out by the end of the year about this particular investigation that we did. It was really amazing. Is that and, the one uh, about the Civil War locations? That yes, sounds really uh, interesting. So I love are, Civil War stuff. I love oh, history. Love this, man. It's great. So uh, that is being edited right now, hopefully by the end of the year. And then we'll, we'll, we'll shop at all the streaming networks and uh, see who picks it up. So we went from multiple attempts to get a reality show on TV uh, and promises from, you know, several networks and several people and several producers. And then, you know, one by one, just like in everything else, something happens, doesn't pan out. Doesn't you just keep fighting and keep fighting. You know, I've, I've had just nine record deals and I've been turned down by 200. So you just keep doing it, you know? Yeah, Somebody well, you've out had there some amazing success, though. I mean, you've had re- videos on MTV. You've opened for Alice Cooper. You've done the Monsters of Rock Cruise. Like, you've had all these like amazing opportunities and played with Angel. Like, you've done some cool stuff. Yeah, it's it's hey, it's been a blessing, you know. And, and 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 to me, it's not even started yet. That's how I look at it. Just mm. I, you know, I I don't lay down on you know on my laurels and say, all right, you know, let's go out and be a. Um, nostalgia band now and just play the first few records now we're continually creating and growing and trying to get bigger and better than we ever have been so yeah no that's super cool hey i was gonna ask you about this one too did you play with motorhead once and tell me the story about lillian Lillian boots or something yeah lillian opened for motorhead in dallas right when the first album was coming out robin crosby actually flew in and got on stage and played picture perfect with us that night on stage and i had these black white and red boots with um pointy toe real british looking <laughs> boots that like came up to my knees with eagles on them and stuff and i remember <laughs> walking to the dressing room and lemmy came by and he goes oh i love those boots they're horrible looking i love them and i was like <laughs> i was like who is that dude <laughs> oh you didn't so, know who it was yeah no i knew it was lemmy but it was like oh. You know, Levy got like really, really popular after that. You know, like oh, uh, okay. you know, Motorhead yeah. kind of had this whole big like everybody knew who they were, but I, I didn't know them that much. You know, this yeah. was like '88 or so. But you know, in the last 20 years, they get their popularity just incrementally grew. You know. Yeah. No, that was the first band I ever saw live. They opened for Guns N' Roses and Metallica. It was the first concert I ever saw. Oh wow, like, that's cool. Yeah, they were away. great. He was yeah. funny. He was funny. It was cool. I almost Very felt cool. like I should have given him my boots, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, Hey man, I probably just spent 200 bucks on these boots. You're not getting these things <laughs> or traded him and got something <laughs> right, right. hat or something. Trade like, him a, a hat or a, yeah. Or a Rickenbacker base or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you about this thing too. Uh, Jimmy's music club. What is this that you appear in this movie? There's a documentary about uh, Jimmy's music club. Yeah. There's a documentary. It was a club called Jimmy's in downtown in really bad area of, of new orleans but everybody played there man it's like you uh, i remember when we first started out there we opened up for john k and steppenwolf there uh wow. we actually rat actually played there. it held about five or six hundred people it was a real like not even chairs in this place like a bar concrete floor and a small stage and we played with keel there i remember that before we got signed and everything and and but so many bands played in and out of there and they just tore it down and uh, made a documentary out of it. And they asked me, That's you know, because I, and we played there with uh, Bonham, John Bonham's son, you know, when he was doing the Bonham. Jason Bonham? Yeah. Jason Bonham, when he was doing Bonham with the, doing all Led Zeppelin stuff. And uh, 
God, I'm trying to think. We we did shows with a lot of bands in there, but it was but everybody played there. It was like a really cool place to play, but it was really small and like you know dirty and nasty and everything. But everybody loved it. Yeah. So are you still in New Orleans now? I'm in Mandeville, which is about a half hour from New Orleans. Okay. Cause I just, I've never, I had never been there until this past, was it last summer? I mean, went and uh, we were only there for like a night, but oh my God, I loved it. I was like, this place is so cool. I was trying to find more of the voodoo stuff. Do you ever, where do you go to find the voodoo stuff? Do you ever, are you, cause I know you're into, you do the paranormal stuff. So right, do you ever, yeah. uh, do you ever places, get into that or is it too scary? Is it real? Oh no, 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 no. I'm not scared of that stuff. Um, no, there's shops and stuff down there and there are a lot of buildings that if you can get into to investigate, but because it, it's, you know, it's just, I don't want to go down there at night. Let's put it that way. Not until they clean up, clean up the crime and stuff down there. Um, I'll go down there during the daytime and whatever, but you got to be really careful going down there now. Um, That's what I heard. Yeah. There's some, when I, we went on, we were there on like a Tuesday, so it was, it was okay. Oh, but, okay. Uh, right. And it was during COVID. So like, I think you were supposed <laughs> to wear a mask outside at that <laughs> point and like nobody was doing it and there was cops all over and nobody, everyone just walked by the cops. Hey, how you doing? And nobody cared. Yeah. So yeah, it was a little strange, but yeah, I saw this really live jazz. The way our city is down there. What's that? We're not really happy with the way the city's being taken care of right now. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. a beautiful city. It's wonderful. But so beautiful. So much, much history. A lot of history, but there's too the much crime, stuff yeah. like that. And you know, it, people don't want to go down there and take their families down there at nighttime, you know, get no. held up or shot or whatnot. And I'm just not doing it. Yeah. It's too bad. Cause I saw this really cool live jazz band and they had like even the outfits and stuff. And I was like, Oh, this is like new Orleans. This is really cool. Oh yeah. If you like jazz and Zydeco and all that stuff, go down there. It's all over the place. Do you know, uh, Kyle Thomas from exhorter? Yes. Doesn't he, uh -huh. is he in new Orleans? Yeah. I haven't uh, talked to Kyle and uh, a while. Actually he's, he was married to my sister for a while. They're divorced, but he was married to my sister. <laughs> I had a Black Sabbath. Okay. I had a Black Sabbath tribute band with him. Oh, Kyle, okay. Kyle's brother was called Black Earth, and uh, my brother Craig, who played—I don't know if you know—my brother played with uh, Black Label Society for a while. Oh and, no, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he played on—I think he played on Mafia and um, played on like three albums or so um, from like late '90s through like maybe 2009 or 10. He was a drummer, Craig. And uh, oh, wow. so he, he was in my Sabbath tribute with Kyle and Kyle's brother played bass. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just wonder, cause I had Kyle on the show and I was like, Oh, I think, yeah, you guys are both in New Orleans. There's not a lot of rock people in New Orleans. Is there, or is there? No, Maybe but, well, you got zebra and then you have, um, crowbar with Kirk Winstein. Who's a good friend of mine. Uh, but not a lot of like, really, you know, like the hard rock bands. There are, so, there are a few around there, but, um, and, and a lot of it has to do with New Orleans uh, on the whole, the media doesn't really help and support uh, the rock bands down there, you know, oh, that's too um, bad. they yeah. never have like the hard rock stuff. They like yeah. the blues and the Zydeco and the jazz and that's fine, but there's a huge uh, plethora of talent of rock and roll bands down there too. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I definitely want to come back and uh, do you guys do a lot of, do you do a lot of local shows around New Orleans? Um. A few. There's a place called Southport Hall that we play a lot, uh, which is really good. I have an Iron Maiden tribute band called Maiden L.A. that we play there a while. But uh, we're playing back at um, we go to the U.K. in a couple of weeks. We play Monsters oh, okay. on the Mountain. Then we go to the U.K. and then we come back and uh, we'll be back and uh, playing here locally. We're doing a warm up show actually here in Mandeville right before we leave for the Monsters on the Mountain in two weeks. 
And, um, and then we'll be uh, going to the UK for seven shows, come back here and then uh, pick it back up again. In the meantime, the record will just come out. So okay. We'll yeah, so there will then. be a U.S. tour dates as well. We're working on it now, trying to figure Would out. Would it be a, a package with another band or? That's what we're waiting to find out. So. Oh, you can't say who though. I don't know yet. The agent okay. is working on it. They asked okay. us what we were like, what do we want to do? When we come yeah. back from the UK, we're like, we need to put, we need to put something together. I think a two or three band package would be good. Yeah. I would love to see it. Hopefully you'll come to Phoenix. I'd love to come see you guys. Oh, I've that'd be great. You Anytime you come down here, man, we'll take care of you. Just uh, let me know. Show you okay. Good sounds stuff. good. We'll go awesome. Well, thanks shops. so much. <laughs> well, yeah, let's do it. I want to, I want to go back. I, I bought some stuff. I never, I never played with it. I didn't know what I was doing. So <laughs> well, let me know, man, you got my number. Let me know if I can help you with any of that. Okay, cool. Well, the new album from Womb to Tomb, it's great stuff. It, like I said, very mature songwriting. I enjoy it. I think people will like it. Uh, like you said, you, it's it's the best album that you've put out is what you feel, right? I do. I really honestly do. It's our opus. Yeah, very cool. Well, I hope to hear some of the songs live. If not the whole thing, that'd be cool. But uh, at least some of them and uh, some of the classics too. So it should Absolutely. be Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the show, man. It's been a pleasure talking yeah, to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's a lot of fun. Got a lot of good stories good man you take care of yourself we'll talk All to you right. soon you too see you later thanks buddy. Bye-bye. bye-bye my thanks again to steve for coming on the show check out the new album from womb to tomb listen to all of lillian axe's entire catalog on streaming or buy a physical copy if you can or buy some other merch go see a show or at least follow the band on social media support these bands or they won't be around for much longer so if you want to support my little show listening to other episodes sharing episodes following on social media all those things help or give us a rating or review on apple Podcasts or spotify that helps too thank you so much for your support now go out there have a great day and shoot for the moon